0: Around the country, teenagers are preparing to sift through great mounds of information for their Year 12 exams. It's a stressful time, but at the same time, the research shows that young people's mental health has never been worse. Some school principals and clinicians are saying we should scrap this high-pressure final year test entirely. On Life Matters today, we'll explore some alternative ideas for assessing learning that are already being trialled. We're broadcasting from NAM, Melbourne, and I'm Hilary Harper. In the first few years of COVID, teenagers finishing high school were able to use different assessment methods when mass exams became impractical. This year, it's business as usual exam-wise, but the mental health issues we saw ramp up in the early 2020s have not gone away. In fact, some clinicians and educators say we've hit crisis point and year 12 assessment is part of that problem. Pat McGorry is the founder and executive director of Origin, a non-profit specialising in youth mental health. He's also a professor of youth mental health at the University of Melbourne. Professor McGorry, welcome to Life Matters.
1: Oh, thank you, Hilary. Good morning.
0: Now, during the COVID pandemic in the early phase, we were hearing a lot about the mental health issues young people were having. Tell us where we're at now.
1: Well, actually, although um, the situation deteriorated very sharply during COVID for young people, this was on the back of a 15 to 20 year decline in the in the mental health of young people uh, across the world, actually, uh, and uh, including in, in Australia. And we've had a recent mental health survey conducted by the ABS, which has shown a 50% rise in diagnosable mental health conditions in young people aged 16 to 24. So, this this um, COVID and even the issue we're discussing today, the the stress of exams, is on the back of this very deep iceberg of mental ill health in young people.
0: Just briefly, Pat, do, you, do we know much about the causal factors <clears throat> there that, that these other stress factors are adding to? Well, they're,
1: they're sort of megatrends, as we call it. Um, um, there are a whole series of things that have changed quite radically over the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, a lot of them are economic, so there's been a lot of wealth transfer from young people to old people. Um, we've seen casualisation of the workforce. We've seen, seen uni- university fees um, emerge and, and uh, get even more uh, heavy, uh, heavier burden than before. Um, house prices, uh, rental, rental costs, everything is conspiring against the security of young people. Uh, Over the last 20, 30 years, COVID and the GFC actually were major sort of cohort insults, if you like, to different generations of young people. So we're not looking after our young people very well at all in, in, um, in societies around the world.
0: Now you're a professor of youth mental health as well as uh, being executive director of Origin and you, you work with young people uh, and and see what's happening with young people regularly. Mm. How are you seeing these megatrend issues manifest in young people around year 12? When it comes to year 12, what happens?
1: Well, even before COVID, I, I, I was really struck. You know, about 15 years ago when we set up Headspace, I worked clinically and I still do work clinically in Headspace centres and I see these young people and clustering around the year, years 11 and 12 you see the, the stress and anxiety build up in people who uh, have got very incredible levels of vulnerability based on what I've said before this is the peak age of, 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 um, of, of mental ill health across the whole lifespan something like um, 39% of young people these days are diagnosable around that age group with with a potential mental health condition. So, if you if you add year 12 into that, it's just like a, a perfect storm. So I saw lots of young people coming in um, really. Decompensating in the face of that sort of stress, uh, and particularly young women, I, I have to say, young women with combinations of anxiety, depression, self-harm, the usual clusters of, of symptoms that we see in headspace. So, so um, And a- actually, after the storm passes of Year 12, um, many of these young people did actually improve. So it's really a, a very significant stress for a lot of Australian young people.
0: Yeah, it was so disturbing to see the the total numbers, two in five young people suffering from mental health issues, but that ramps up to almost 50% for young women. Really disturbing statistics. Yeah. So Year 12 uh, ramps up that pressure even further. How much can we attribute that to the uh, assessment regime, Pat, and how much just does the general stress of getting to the end of school?
1: Well, I think that might be where your, your other guests um, on the program might be uh, able to show sh- shed further light on that, but, um. I'm not sure about that. It would be great to hear about how how the stress can be ameliorated and modified, but I can give you some examples that I've seen in patients that I've seen where if they already have a, a manifest uh, mental health condition, in other words, they're struggling already, then certain arrangements can be made such as giving them more time um, in, during exams or, or even more time for assignments and those sorts of things. So there are probably ways of reducing the level of stress and I always think about this is a very simple way of thinking about it, but um, people's ability to cope is like a bucket. And and, um, sometimes there are holes in the bucket, which is not great. But um, eventually, if if you keep pouring water into that bucket, it's got a finite level of uh, capacity. That's what sort of happens to people. And and they they really go under it at a certain point. And anything you can do to, to reduce that stress, put the holes in the bucket, um, that's probably what what uh, might be possible in the, in the in a practical sense.
0: We've got texts coming in as we speak to Professor Pat McGorry. My guess is a lot of the mental health issues for the young people relate to such things as inaction on climate change, the massive divide between the rich and the poor, as Pat referenced, and the lack of empathy in matters such as the Indigenous voice. That's the view of one person. Another says an exam is the only way to see if they know the work. Any assessment is subjective rather than objective. You don't know who completed the work. Well, perhaps you've got views on that if you're listening at home or at work or in the car or wherever you happen to be on the on the bus. I'd love to hear your thoughts about whether we need to change the assessment regime, the, the way school works in the final years for our young people in the context of this global continuous decline to really parlous levels in mental health for our young people. Is this one way to ameliorate that? Or as our text message correspondent said, no it's it's not worth it. Let's hear from someone who found their mental health issues were a huge problem during year 12. This is Sam.
1: I went to a top performing school and I was also quite an academic kid. And like this was one of those schools where there was an expectation that people would get an ATAR in the top 1% of the state and anything less would be a total disappointment. Looking back I had issues with anxiety throughout high school and it definitely ramped up majorly during the lead up to year 12 and especially during the exam period. My stress levels got so bad that I actually had a panic attack in my English exam. It was so bad I I passed out. Then they took me to the first aid room and I was told just, you know, rest up for half an hour. And after that, I I had to complete the exam. I ended up pushing through the exam and, and all the others. And I got a score that was way higher than I actually needed for the course I wanted to get into, but um, looking back now I see that having to go through that system really ruined my experience of the last few years of school, which I reckon I would have otherwise really enjoyed.
0: That's Sam recounting their experience of the last year of school. We've been hearing from Professor Pat McGorry, who's the founder and executive director of Origin, a non-profit specialising in youth mental health. He's also a professor of youth mental health at the University of Melbourne. And Michael Saxon joins us too. He sees this play out on the ground in his work with students. He's the principal of Liverpool Boys High School, a public all-boys school in southwest Sydney, a very diverse, lower socioeconomic status community. Michael, great to have you on the program today. Thanks for having me. What kinds of mental health issues are you seeing at the moment, as as you know the restrictions from COVID ramp down and we start to uh, get back to the the trends we were seeing beforehand? What are you seeing in the kids you work with?
2: Look, the um, Professor Gori stated it perfectly. These these things are they've been there the whole way through. They were there before COVID. Many were exacerbated. They're not going away. So those, those mental health issues. The, that sense of anxiety, that sense of sense of worry about the world, that they're really prevalent across young people. There's an increasing disconnection with this um, formal education system we have, and young people questioning what's the point of this? How does this really benefit me? Is it, isn't there another way of of you know achieving success rather than having to go through this
0: this kind of journey? And Michael, how do you see that stress manifest in individuals this time of year?
2: Uh, look, it comes out in multiple ways because, you know, everybody's different and this stress impacts on different kids in different ways. You can get an increase in um, illness with kids. You know, it, become, it can turn to physical symptoms at times. You can get kids who just disengage and go, oh, well, actually, I don't care. They do deep down, but they say they don't care because it's easier to say that, and pretend you don't care, and, and therefore gives you license to to not do as well as you like. That's a, that's a very common um, kind of outcome, particularly in lower SES uh, communities. And, of course, there's this massive over-focus on the importance of, of the exams, which really, really shouldn't exist. It's something that, as a society, we push, um, and certain certain parts of so some schools push it very heavily, and all it does is damage to young people, because whilst, whilst completing Year 12 and the exams um, and these processes are important, it doesn't define your life or your next steps or your whole, whole outcomes. That's a real myth.
0: I guess we heard from Professor Pat McGorry that there are these global mega trends that are affecting young people's mental health, you know, uh, wealth inequity, casualisation, housing, unaffordability, uni fees, insecurity on all levels. How much can you be sure that the HSE stress is contributing to the issues that you're seeing? I mean, you're in a low SES uh, community anyway. There might well be, you know, racism and other things affecting kids at home. How do you know it's exams that's, that's causing that problem?
2: Uh, look, and you, you're absolutely right. There's a whole range of factors that impact on kids' mental health at this this point in their lives. And all of those factors, and there's many more localised factors. We're a very diverse community, lots of refugee background students, for example, who, who bring a whole lot of other stresses and mental health conditions. But I can say absolutely that the exams are, are contributing to stress. Because we run a program in our school called Big Picture, which doesn't have exams and kids get a credential and move to university or work or whatever. And those students do not display that same level of mental health and stress as opposed to kids in the mainstream. We've got to control. We know.
0: We're speaking with Michael Saxon, who's the principal of Liverpool Boys High School. They've been trying something a little bit different for the final years of school. But, Michael, just before we get into the detail of that, Mm -hmm. what kinds of kids do you see uh, under stress, both the academically inclined kids and those less academically inclined?
2: Look, the academically inclined kids, if they're, they're doing a mainstream HSC, that pressure is very hard to relieve. Um, What we do at our school, and and as do a lot of schools, is really work with our our boys to to find what's your pathway, how do we get there, and make sure that they've got a whole range of alternatives. We do a lot of school-based apprenticeships with kids. Um, You know, university is not the right thing for, for every student. There's lots of different pathways and really help our boys understand that, all right, you might go get a job, go to TAFE, do something like that, come to university later in life. You often are much more successful when you do that pathway anyway. So teaching that, that our, pe- our young people that there are multiple pathways and all of them are valid and all of them are success rather than narrowly focusing on one view of what success looks like as an exit point in school.
0: Michael, in Victoria, there is less focus on the final exam and, and assessment. is split up into smaller chunks throughout the year. Yes, is that uh, enough to to help deal with the issue, or is it something broader in your view that's the problem with the way we assess kids in their final years of school?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's a much. I think that's better, um, but I think it's a much broader view. I, I think it's it's about looking at the whole design of school. So our design of school is designed to reach this pinnacle of year 12, be it examinations or or assessments, and everything is focused towards that. And this is a design that's been around 50, 60 years, basically, and it's had a few alterations, obviously, over the decades. Served as well as a nation up to 30 years ago, but no longer really meets the needs of, of a society now. There are better ways and different ways to design school, that actually create a much better sense of well-being, a much better sense of belonging and are proactive in supporting young people's mental health, as well as providing opportunities for really deep, rigorous academic learning, if that's if that's right for that young person.
0: We'll talk in a moment about the big picture learning credential, which is what you're trialing to replace the ATAR. But just before that, Professor Pat McGorry, I wanted to check in with you because I know you've written that, you know, there are a lot of things you'd like to see change in our systems to support young people, including more money for youth mental health services, but also an overhaul of the school system so that it better supports kids' mental health. What would that look like for you?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question um, because there, there's a lot of um, programs being delivered into schools by um, various organizations which are not evidence-based. And um, there's a big study just recently published in the UK showing that, that um, mindfulness programs in high schools uh, uh, are not, not not really effective at all, yet a lot of schools are investing in these sorts of things. So I think getting an evidence base behind what is offered to support the mental health of students is really, really important to do to things that actually work. And I, just listening to Michael, is very interesting because um, I, I agree with everything that he was saying, and I think if you just look at our education system, and I'm by no means an expert in that, but I have seen the stress also... Uh, imposed on, on kids by the, the relentless sort of continuous assessment sort of process, the SACs that we have in Victoria. So it's it's not really ideal at the moment. And I think other countries are, may, may, may be doing this better. And the country that's always talked about is Finland, where they pretty much abolished private schools um, some decades ago, and, and actually have a highly functional system that has much better outcomes than Australia. So I think that some some of the private schools with their huge emphasis on 8-hour scores as part of their marketing is putting a lot of pressure on, you know, probably more privileged kids, actually. Um, Michael's obviously working in an area with more disadvantaged kids, but but I think some of the, the um, more privileged um, young people going through this process are also placed under extreme stress by the kinds of, you know, the financing and the structure of the education system as well, which which really is about uh, outcomes rather than the individual students' needs.
0: It's been great having you be part of this discussion today, Pat. I'll let you go. I know you're overseas and in demand. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thanks very
0: much, Hilary. Pat McGarry, founder and executive director of Origin, a non profit specialising in youth mental health, and he is a professor of youth mental health at the University of Melbourne. We're speaking too with Michael Saxon, who's the principal of Liverpool Boys High School, which is a public all boys school in southwest Sydney. Michael, let's get into the nuts and bolts of this big picture learning credential. How does that uh, change things when it comes to assessment?
2: Okay, so look, big picture, um, the credential is the end of the design process and students are in a big picture program for two to four years. Um, We've been running, there's about 40 big picture schools across um, Australia. It's been around about a dozen years. And there's a really strong evidence base for how it does work and and support kids' mental health and academic rigour. So basically kids are in an advisory of 17 Students, they work with one advisor, they do real-world learning and they have mentors in the real world, they do internships on the workplace, Um, they're supported by university mentors. They create a whole range of, of products around a particular area that's their passion. So they're not doing a curriculum as we know it, they're not sitting exams as we know it. We have a very rigorous assessment process around the the artefacts that young people produce. Um, That assessment system has been designed in conjunction with Professor Sandra Milligan at Melbourne University and it is accepted by over, I think, 15 universities um, for entry um, across Australia. And it's it's a completely different way of doing school and, and um, promoting learning. And exams just aren't part of it.
0: There's a couple of texts here that we've received saying, look, but what about subjectivity? Isn't this a, a way to, uh, the ATAR a way to guarantee that there's no cheating, for example? Oh, no. <laughs> and, and
2: I, no, not at all. Um, it, it just imagine, you know, you're in a, an advisory with um, 17 other kids, or six other kids and one teacher, and you're providing evidence of your work you can't hide it's very obvious what that your work is your work and that 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 assessment is work that you have done um whereas in a in a mainstream or a traditional environment there's lots of different factors that play around people getting different advantages you know what, what that often is based on wealth or socioeconomic capital around those sorts of things um, it isn't It isn't a subjective, let's tick a box randomly. It's a deeply rigorous assessment process designed by assessment experts, um, heavily researched and research-backed process. That that produces a much more nuanced picture of what a young person can do rather than a mark.
0: Sorry Michael uh, you've got the the no. learner profile backed up by the interactive online portfolio and That's there's six right. six different learning goals some of which yep. kind of seem a bit nebulous to the uninitiated you know communication <laughs> and attitude and things how do you measure those things but Look you can measure anything
2: You can absolutely measure anything um you you have to set up a framework and if you have a look at the frames they're they're quite complex Um, So you set up a framework that describes what it looks like at varying levels of competence. So everybody knows when they're hearing people talk about how we we can make a judgement about their ability to communicate. People are doing that right now, listening to this program about our ability.
0: Yep, they're making those judgments every day. I, I know that's true. We're speaking with Michael Saxon, who's the principal of Liverpool Boys High School, having some issues with his line, unfortunately. Uh, text messages, Andrew says, isn't it more important that kids learn to learn and do enjoy learning and that learning never has to stop than to make some big hoo-ha at age 17? Uh, others continuing that theme, take the pressure off, failure is okay. There are so many pathways for our young people. Now recognising neurodiversity, we need to loosen the rid- rigid testing structure. Build confidence, resilience and test this. Michael, I do want to ask you a few more questions while this sure. line holds. So you, the learner profile tests a few different learning goals, uh, communication, attitude, things like that. Uh, there's, There's also the suggestion that if you include things in the portfolio, such as volunteer work or extracurricular activities, that that might benefit kids from higher SES backgrounds because they have the family support and resources to take part in those things. What are your thoughts on that?
2: yeah look that that can be that very well can be true, but that's not big picture. So big picture isn't about um you know earning a point system or doing this or doing that and adding it in. It's about the young person and the advisor designing a learning um platform and and connect and doing that learning platform and it's accessible for any any person at any any stage of their their learning journey at any ability level or any socioeconomic um, area. It's not a system that that can be gained because I have greater access to volunteer organizations than somebody else. It's about very much that young person in in the moment and their learning.
0: So how widely accepted is it, Michael? Because the argument has run that we need an ATAR so that we can rank students against each other so that universities can choose the ones that are going to go to universities. Do universities yep. go for this uh, credential as opposed to an ATAR?
2: Oh, absolutely. So we have, there's a dozen um, universities, um, Western Sydney, Wollongong, UTS, um, ANU, a whole range of universities, who, uh, University Newcastle, who readily accept students. And they get there and they're matched. So it's about where would this young person be successful in university? And they're, they're going for a particular course because that's already their area of passion. They've already been studying in that area. They already have a mentor from university in that area and have demonstrated they have the skills to be successful in university. Universities love getting big picture students because they know these people are going to be successful. So it's much more about matching than ranking.
0: And Michael, you had 10% of your cohort trialling the big picture learning credential uh, this year. What have you seen from the people who've done it in terms of both mental health and learning outcomes?
2: Yeah, so we've been running, we've had graduates out of Big Picture for about five years now in year 12, going to various universities. Um, And look, what Big Picture does by its design is create a sense of belonging, creates a sense of connectedness. Um, So it's very designed, supports young people. So when, when those holes in the buckets, as Pat was talking about, come along, Big Picture is there with a team of people that can support that young person, people through it. I'll give you an example of a young man who came to us from a, a selective school. High anxiety, high mental health issues, um, You know, really in a very precarious, dangerous position. Through big picture, he was able to learn his way, um, reduce all of those mental health concerns. It took a couple of years. It's a long, slow process. And at the end was producing work that his university mentor was saying, I would give this as a credit for a second-year university student. He was able to really demonstrate a a strong, deep academic rigour as well as supporting his mental health. You don't need exams to do that.
0: And what about cost, Michael? I I mean, I love the idea that the big picture learning credential uh, matches kids with individual mentors and sets them up with internships. That sounds like it could be quite time-consuming and expensive.
2: Uh, Look, it, it it isn't that much more expensive than a traditional way of doing school. We spend a lot of money on schools. We spend a lot of money on our various programs to support the structures we have. We spend a lot of money running um, external examinations and having all these processes around it. So if you think about all the money we spend on the traditional system and compare it to how much money you would spend in a big picture environment, you're not talking a massive difference. Uh, that, uh, that analysis hasn't been done. Big picture isn't big enough to, to really have a proper analysis like that um, created. But every indication we have is it's it may be cheaper. It's certainly not going to be significantly more expensive. It's a different way of doing it.
0: And it sounds like it's working well for some of the kids you work with. Michael, I'm really grateful to you for explaining how it works at your school to us on Life Matters today. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Saxon, the principal of Liverpool Boys High School, which is a public all boys school in southwest Sydney and one of the schools that supports the international big picture learning credential. You can look it up online if you're interested in more information. And you heard earlier from Pat McGorry, who's the executive director of Origin dealing with youth mental health. He's a professor of youth mental health at the University of Melbourne.